Hey folks, it's Lauren for Little Miss Neurodivergence recording this podcast from Singapore. Welcome to this episode where I want to talk about something that happened recently, and that is I attended my first family gathering in about five to six years, I think, and also my first family gathering after my diagnosis of ADHD and autism. I know I talked about how a while ago I went to see my aunt. And then there were a few relatives there, but that wasn't like a real family gathering in the sense that this one was. So this had the hallmarks of one of the kind of events that I guess I'm known to avoid. When I was growing up, all I knew was that they felt uncomfortable, especially when I went from, I guess, childhood, when you were allowed to play and just run around and like there wasn't a lot of social expectation on me I feel you know like even though I got called out a lot for always wanting to like run around and play games and you know like being called a tomboy like in a bad way I feel like people were more understanding because yeah like to them I guess you're just a kid might be a naughty kid but you're a kid and as I got to adolescence I observed that my cousins when I would see them they they just suddenly started to kind of sit still and not really have this like hey do you want to go run around so I remember like the first time that happened when I was 12 or 13 I think I felt really thrown because suddenly I was like wait what just changed you know what just happened and struggling to figure out like what my role here was so that discomfort came from that and I know that my discomfort came from like wearing nice clothes and as a kid at the end of the day it was fine if you wanted like take off or loosen some parts of your outfit but as an adolescent slash young adult that's not allowed you know like I remember my mom be like put it back on and I just kind of be going at her and be like it doesn't matter like I'm not naked like you know I'm still covered but like there's this sense of like it's not proper and you can't do that and so over the years I feel like I learned to mask or camouflage my discomfort by really observing what other people were doing and one of the things I noticed was that the women would be playing certain roles like server, you know, so they'd be serving the food. They would be going around the guests and asking, did they want more water? They would be going around the table and clearing the food away. They would be helping with washing the dishes. They would be engaged in small talk, which I tried that a couple times, didn't work, left that role behind really quickly Um, and the other role I know that I felt like I I would do over time was the role of photographer because you know it's like a family gathering and so it's like hey take a picture and then like that eases like the conversation a little bit and be like do you want to see the picture like oh this one looks good so there's like a script there you know what I mean like likewise for the other roles like do you want a tub of water do you want another drink I could get you or like can I clear your plate or like can I help to wash the dishes you know all these are social scripts that I guess at the time I didn't know it 
but that I had relied on. And I feel like eventually when I got to an age where I was, you know, working, I would just kind of be like, you know what, I'm working, I can't go, I, I can't make it, I've worked, even though I didn't, you know, because I just, it was, it was a lot. Like, I didn't know how to describe it, but I guess looking back, it was overwhelming in a lot of ways. And now that I've had my diagnosis and I figured out what and why, I sat down and I wrote out a few pointers to kind of figure out, like, what it was that added to or made up that sense of discomfort. And part of the reason I did this is also because if you have heard one of my more recent episodes, I go back and forth, especially with my autism diagnosis. I feel like with the ADHD, it's a lot more straightforward and like easy to understand because for me, it's like hyperactivity, or, le- or like restlessness, check, um, you know, like not paying attention very much, check. It's so clear cut to me. But I, I know that when I was going for my autism diagnosis, or at least trying to get it diagnosed, and you know, the whole process, if you've listened to the other episodes, there was a lot of pushback. And I go back and forth between, is it because relatively little is known about how autism presents in girls or those who identify as female or those who were assigned female at birth um, or you know like I don't know what it is I don't know what it is that just I feel like yeah I just go back and forth on whether or not I'm autistic and did I make it all up this really strong sense of imposter syndrome So I guess when I get to go out to a family gathering and all these issues come up that I've had my whole life, I feel like it's it's kind of like a case study, I guess, the way I look at it and just kind of analyze and pick it apart and be like, okay, so this is this element and this is that and just kind of try to validate myself a bit more. And I'm going to put this here for anyone else who has the same kind of uh, struggles or differences that I do and hopefully this illuminates something for you if you're listening but otherwise if you'd just like to well, come along for the ride and figure out then here we are so one of the things that I noticed during this family gathering the first point is that I did not understand small talk like the boundaries of small talk so for instance like okay i was standing in a room full of people and i observed that they were in more or less smaller groups of people and they were talking and then like I just kind of stand off to the side and then like someone would come and join me and then we talk and they because they haven't seen me in a while like I said about five to six years if not more they'd be like where where have you been how have you been what are you doing now and I realized that I don't know how to just say I'm fine everything's good 
and just kind of like keep it light and breezy because on some level it feels dishonest and weird and just like not really knowing like how much is too much and how much is too little where it feels like maybe the person might feel I'm brushing them off. So with some people, I feel like I had some really awkward conversations. For example, for one of them, uh, she was working at the hospital that I go to to see my psychiatrist, my new psychiatrist. And at that point, I was just telling her, oh, I was thinking about you when I went for my appointment because I know you used to work here or work there. And I didn't realize until she brought up the term of like it being like a patient kind of confidential setting that this might not be appropriate small talk. And yes, it's great that I realized that kind of three quarter ways through the conversation, but I realized that I don't have it in me to kind of have that don't even go there, you know, just kind of like how have your kids been and like how's work been and just keep it at that level. And so that was one thing that was really awkward, like one example of an awkward conversation I felt. Another one was where... Okay, so there were a few of these like weird, I feel like I was being weird in these interactions and I'm not going to go into all of them for the interest of, you know, in the interest of time. But um, one of them that... One of the things I observed that when you're in a situation like this is that because people are kind of coming and going, you know, like people are arriving and leaving at different times, it's quite common that your conversation gets cut off. Like literally sometimes in the middle of the conversation and then like it just ends or like I'm like, I go, hey, I'm like, oh my God, okay, yeah, like let's continue this like at the next place, like at the next place we go to. And then... I think in general, I noticed that yesterday when I said that, or if the conversation got interrupted halfway, people wouldn't necessarily come back to look for me to continue the conversation. It would just be like, it's fine, you know, like you don't have to think about it. And for me, and I'm leading on to my next point, which is, I think, literal thinking and rigidity, is that... Because I would say like, yeah, let's continue this at the next place. I would literally look for the person in the crowd. And if I saw them talking to someone else, I kind of keep an eye on them until they were done talking and then go up to them eventually and be like, hey, we were talking about this halfway. And like, so this happened. And then halfway through the conversation, this person's family came and was like, we're leaving. And then they just like got up mid-conversation and left. Like they were like, oh, we were like, okay, bye. You know, it was all nice. It was polite. But I just was like, oh my God, this is another conversation that I didn't get to complete. And like, what just happened? And like, the fact that it wasn't finished, it didn't come to a conclusion, played in a loop in my head for the rest of the day. And I felt like because it was halfway, like the conversation didn't get to like a finish point. The things I said while making small talk that were maybe like awkward jokes or references I made that I was thinking, you know, like, oh, I can explain this in a bit. 
like why I said this thing or that thing or why I made this joke and okay, that didn't seem to land and maybe I'll have time to explain it. I didn't get that chance and so it just kind of like looped and looped and looped in my head, which apparently can be like repetitive behavior. Like it doesn't have to be a repetitive actions like stimming, but it can be repetitive thoughts. That's what I learned. And so this was one thing that I ended up later in the evening calling up my mom and just kind of asking her because my mom goes to a lot of these things and so I felt like she might be better informed <laughs> on like what was the norm and so she was like yeah it's normal it's just small talk and like don't worry about it if the conversation didn't finish and I was like yeah but you don't understand I don't understand what small talk is and just she just kind of had to like talk me through it and of course I was so overwhelmed by that point in the night from these things but also the other stuff that I'm gonna share in a bit that you know I was in tears and just kind of like trying to explain to her like no this is why I find it so overwhelming and just I don't get it like to you it makes sense but to me it's like you have to tell me like okay in this situation in this particular circumstance this is what you do but if this part is different and then maybe it changes a little bit but if you don't tell me that, then like, I'm just going to be stuck there thinking like very literally, like, was I rude? Did I, did I not like, was I supposed to look for this person? Like, was it okay? Like, are they thinking I'm rude for like saying those things or leaving the conversation? You know, just all of those things. And so that was something that happened at the end of the night. And I guess, you know, on its own, I suppose it could be like maybe every now and then people get socially anxious but I don't know how many other 30 plus year olds get so anxious or socially anxious to the point where they are in tears and just like can't literally can't focus on what they're doing for the rest of the day and in the past it used to be days and weeks sometimes months like not focus on things properly because this thing would just be in the back of their head for me I feel like the time that I would ruminate on it would get shorter because of like I learned to kind of distract myself or like either deliberately or like, you know, by doing something where I knew my focus would be on that other uh, like thing I'm doing or like just kind of doing something like watching a show. So like it's something mindless, but it's distracting me or just like medication. When I was medicated with my anti-anxiety medication, I felt like it would just kind of make me sleepy and I drift off. So like there were these other things that I could do, but I don't know where I'm going with this, sorry. But my point is just that, yeah, it, it it's just, it's just, people may have these like difficulties with social interactions, but I don't think everyone's calling up their mother like in adulthood and like freaking out about it is what I'm saying. Okay, so <laughs> um, let's get back to my list of things that I wrote out. The next thing is that I realized that while I was talking to people, okay, so there were some people I was more comfortable talking to them and looking at them in the eyes, you know, like making that eye contact because these are people I've no longer, like I feel like we, we click better, there's more ease in the conversation, so it would be easier for me to look at them in the eye but what I realized because you know like now I'm, bit, I'm a bit more aware with my diagnosis I realized that I was observing like the color of people's eyes as I was looking at them 
And then sometimes as I was looking at them, it's kind of, I guess the term is dissociating. So I'd be looking at them, but I would feel like I was out of my body. So it's not that I can't look at them in the eyeballs, but it's just, it's so uncomfortable. And I didn't realize this, but it would literally feel like, oh my God, like I don't feel grounded and I feel so uncomfortable. And I didn't force myself to make that eye contact. I mean, I would just kind of let myself look elsewhere because I think these are people who kind of probably know I'm weird. They've always known. Didn't know why, but they've always known. So I just let my eyes like kind of look other places if I had to. Um, but yeah, this was these were the thoughts that were going on in the back of my head. And these were the bodily... Uh, like feelings I was experiencing that I was just like okay this is interesting and I don't know if other people feel like that but this was my experience and I thought that kind of spoke towards this diagnosis of autism the next thing I did was that I was holding a stim toy it's not really a toy it's This little, I know I've made a video holding it one time, if you have seen it, but if you haven't, it's this little furry tail, and it's like rainbow colored. So if I can't fidget with it, I can look at it, and it's rainbow colored, so it's a visual stim for me to go over like the colors in order, and like that order makes me feel comfortable. But if I can move and I'm more comfortable, the texture of that that little tail, that furry tail, is very soothing to me. It reminds me of this small pillow I had that I used to kind of carry around when I was a kid. I had it until I was in my late 20s because that pillow eventually fell apart. And I think I've mentioned it, but there was one corner of that pillow that in particular I would like rub between my fingers or I'd rub against my lips or rub against my face because it just had a certain feel to it. And um, this... Like that tactile sensation when I play or like stim with this little furry tail, it kind of feels like that and it's comforting. And the reason I knew that, like because I was hyper monitoring myself in that situation that day, I could tell that people... Sorry about that. The For some reason, the recording stopped, so I'm not sure where I got cut off, but basically... I was playing with that toy and nobody asked me because I feel like I don't know if it's just our culture but like people don't ask you to your face they kind of make jokes about it and make fun of you to your face about it and make you feel uncomfortable and so that's just something I've gone through a lot and um, yeah I was just realizing that people like picked up on the fact that I was using this thing to kind of self-regulate and Another thing I know that people picked up on because I got the feedback right away was that I was greeting people in a certain way that I suppose was, let me see, how do I put this? Like it wasn't maybe, it stood out, like it wasn't how maybe other people were greeting each other, maybe wasn't the way I've greeted others in the past, I guess. But basically when new people would come in and... I would greet them apparently i was going i was greeting them in this very specific way and the way i would greet them was hello and then another person would come and i would say hello 
And so this event was hosted by my cousin. And so when she was bringing the guests in, she was standing there. And so when I said, hello, she laughed and she mimicked it back at me. And that was how I knew I was doing it. And I was like, wait, where is this coming from? And then when I got home that night and I just started, re uh, I started watching, not re-watching, but watching for the first time Young Sheldon, I was watching it at night and I realized, oh my God, that's how the character is greeting other people. Hello. And I was like, I had unconsciously internalized that and I was using this to greet other people. And that's echolalia or echolalia or however you want to pronounce it. But I was like, when, when I was watching the show, I was like, oh my God, like, what the heck? I didn't know I had internalized this. And yeah, so that's something that I thought was interesting. The next thing I realized is that we... Uh, when it got crowded, my cousin is the one who knows that I have been diagnosed with autism. She may not know exactly what it is, but she knows more or less that I struggle with crowds. So she did allow me to go into her daughter's room and like the AC was on and she was like, yeah, you can just go sit in that room. But, you know, at times I would like come out and kind of like stick to my mom and just kind of like trail her as she was going around the room and making the rounds with the other relatives. But... I think at some point when she'd be talking to people and I'd just be kind of crouched next to her and like not really knowing that if I should join in or not really knowing what to do because it felt rude to like look at my phone because it was like, I don't know, like I've been told off for that in the past. Like either like for looking at like at my phone or zoning out or literally just standing up and walking away. So I tried to stay put. I really tried to stay put. But eventually I was like, I can't deal with this. I'm just going to leave. So I got up and I retreated to like the room. I just made a beeline from like where my mom and this other relative was talking. And I beeline for like my cousin's daughter's room. And I realized that I was walking on tiptoe. And this walking on tiptoe, walking on your toes, I feel like as a kid I did it. I don't remember the context of why I did it as a kid. I know I did it. I just don't know how often as well. But one occasion prior to this that I know I did it was I was at work and then my boss was just, my ex-boss was just being really demanding and just being his usual a-hole self. And I realized that I started to walk on tiptoe as I was going like, you know, in between like our office and the conference room, I knew that I was doing that. And I, I wasn't thinking about doing that. I was just kind of doing, doing it. And yesterday, again, when I had that sense of like discomfort, I was doing it again. And so I just looked it up before I, you know, like did this episode. And apparently it's linked to something called our vestibular system. And this is one of the other senses that Okay, so we have five senses, right? The five senses we all know about, but we have other three senses and the vestibular system is one of them where it has to do with like your balance, like knowing your position in space and your spatial orientation. And apparently there is some theory that folks with autism tiptoe because it helps to keep us calm. Like it helps us to control the environment. Sometimes it can be like the sensation of the floor so I know that I've also done this when I was in my early 
or in my young adulthood when I was at my friend's house and I was tiptoeing and I didn't know it until she was like asking me why are you tiptoeing and I was like oh shoot I guess because the floor is wet and I'm not used to the texture of your floor and so like subconsciously or unconsciously my brain was just like trying to make myself feel calm and comforted in this new environment and this floor texture I wasn't familiar with by tiptoeing and so that was something I caught myself doing yesterday as well or was it yesterday or whenever the family gathering was so that was another thing that I was like hey like this is interesting I I feel like this is one instance where I knew why like I was tiptoeing which was kind of like to self-regulate I guess as the theory goes but anyway the next one is that um we were at some points out in the hot sun you know like as we were going from place to place and we were standing out in the heat like in the middle of the afternoon and it was a super bright day it was i guess like when i'm indoors i feel like i can tell it's hot because I've been sitting there for a while and eventually my brain tells me like it's hot and you're you're feeling uncomfortable because maybe you're starting to perspire and like you're starting to feel a bit thirsty and like my brain catches up and it's like oh it's because you're hot and it's uncomfortable but in that moment I realized because we'd just gotten out of the car where there there was like AC and stuff like that so like I was comfortable like for the time we were outdoors, which was about like maybe half an hour, up to half an hour when we were outdoors under the sun, I didn't realize that I was uncomfortable. And the only reason I knew that was because my mom was next to me and she commented, wow, it's really hot today. And I was like thinking to myself, is it? Like, is it? Like, really? I don't feel it. And then just kind of standing there and I didn't put my shades on. And I didn't reach for any water. And then the only reason I knew that it was hot eventually was because a couple hours later, I realized that I was like, oh my God, I'm dying to drink. I'm super thirsty. And I was starting to get like some, I felt like it was like eye strain. So I think that's from the brightness. And finally at night when I got home and probably this was like, an accumulation of all the other things I've just said, you know, like all of the things on the list, I realized that I was starting to get a migraine. Like the kind that for me, it like goes all the way into my jaw and it's just this, it's like beyond a headache. It's really like a migraine. And I'm really thankful that this time it didn't escalate to the kind of migraines I used to get when I was younger on the way home from these events, which I never knew why. I just kind of figured, oh my God, maybe I ate too much candy. Like, literally, as a kid, that was my reasoning. Like, I think I ate too much candy, and this is, like, a sugar headache. And now, I feel like I know that it's because I was overstimulated, you know, from all the things I said earlier. And, like, my body not knowing that it was hot, it was bright. I probably should have done some things to kind of mitigate this sensory input. And also because my clothes were uncomfortable, like basically I'm not at home in like an oversized t-shirt and like my, you know, I kind of pull my hair back and like hold myself a certain way. And I guess like hyper monitor myself that it just kind of caught up to me finally at the end of the night. And the reason I think my theory as to why it wasn't as bad as it was 
as it used to be when I was a kid is because I feel like I did, you know, stim openly and I did allow myself during conversations with people I was closer to to just kind of be like, yeah, I've been recently diagnosed autistic and like maybe they didn't know what it meant, but just being able to say that out loud you know, like, I felt like that allowed me to be safe and, like, not feel like I was masking as heavily. And also, as I was, like, going through, like, the role of, like, let me help you out, let me do this for you, like, knowing that I was doing that, having that self-awareness, actually, I feel, kind of took some of the stress off, off, like, my brain, so that it didn't feel like it was so painful to get through and that is not to say like ultimately it didn't take a huge toll on me because I can feel from the way that I've woken up you know like since that I'm gonna need some time to recover from it but this is just something that I've observed that if I allow myself to kind of express myself and move in a certain way and just kind of if I'm thinking something like the stress I was feeling about the social interactions and I just talked about it you know like thankfully with my mom being a safe person even though she doesn't quite understand I think what I'm going through but like as I explained to her she'll just kind of be like ah okay and just you know like talk me through it like it does help to mitigate that and so I I'm grateful that you know like now I kind of am figuring out that there is this little bit that I can do Another thing that helped also is that when I saw some relatives and I just was like, hmm, like I would just kind of mentally weigh up in my head, like, do I want to go talk to that person and make small talk? Like in that moment, I wasn't thinking small talk, but I was just kind of like, do I want to go up to them and just talk to them and like greet them? Like some of my other cousins. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to. Like maybe they're going to think it's rude and whatever like you know negative label they're gonna think of me on one hand I'm like used to it it's like whatever you know like what's new on the other it's just like I am going to go ahead and ration my energy and my bandwidth to get through the other things like the other stuff that I think I can't avoid like I said you know there are very specific kind of rules so like there's certain elders that maybe you need to talk to so i'm gonna reserve my energy for that today yeah and maybe that's not always so helpful for other people because i get that in certain situations you know you have to do that thing like maybe you're at work or maybe you're at school and there are just some like maybe a teacher or a co-worker that you can't really avoid or maybe in other family gatherings there might be a certain family member like in my case they kind of make fun of me in within my earshot but there are I guess what I'm saying like kind of little things that I could do and yeah that that's good to know that's nice to know and I don't know if it's just the high of like figuring this out I'm kind of like hopeful for the next family gathering that I might not avoid it I don't know I may get like cold feet at the last second and like chicken out but for now i feel like even though the next family gathering is probably months away i'm like you know what maybe i can handle it maybe i don't have to avoid it so 
yeah, that was just something I wanted to put onto this podcast episode and also kind of tease out like the elements that I feel are more specific to autism spectrum stuff because the sensory thing I heard apparently even though like people with ADHD credit like you know like their ADHD or say that uh like the sensory stuff has to do with ADHD I did read somewhere that apparently it's not part of the official diagnostic criteria for ADHD I'm not 100% sure on this don't quote me I still need to go and like do some more falling down the rabbit hole but apparently apparently but all the other stuff that I said you know that are very clear like the literal thinking the rigidity of my thinking the like observing like how uncomfortable eye contact was for me and and like the echolalia and like like the tiptoeing and stuff like that I feel like those to me are very clear indicators and I know what my gaslighting psychologists and psychiatrists might say, you know, like in the past, they'd be like, yeah, but everyone does those things. And yes, that's true. Again, these things that people, autistic folks do, it's not something special. Like I said, it's not like we're flying or having x-ray vision or like we can breathe underwater, but it's just, we do it to like a higher, higher like frequency. And it's a grouping of things that when you put it together, then that means autism. And I just wanted to spell this out for you if you're wondering, and I want to spell it out for myself because I know I need it. And so here it is. That's the episode. And I am going to get on with my day because usually I do this at night, you know, like when I'm like kind of winding down and I'm calm, but this is in the middle of the afternoon because I was just like, it's on my mind and so... That's why I said I'm going to get on with my day. And you can probably hear my cat, one of my cats, trying to get into the room. Um, But anyway, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to (laughs) sign off on the episode. Thank you so much for your time and for listening. And I hope you found this episode useful to you in some way. I will catch you on another episode. When I catch you on another episode, everyone take care. Stay safe. This is Lauren for Little Miss Neurodivergence.